This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. Hello and welcome to all three of our regular listeners who are here to tune in to today's episode of Helen and Bill Do Retro Cinema. Yay! And before she says anything more, I'd like to introduce you to Helen. Hi there, listeners. And today we are doing the 73rd Academy Awards, which is films from the year 2000. Very exciting for everybody who's out there. Yes, we remember it well because we're old. (laughs) Very old. Uh, So, yes, so what we've done is we've watched all five films that were nominated for Best Picture in the year 2000 for the 73rd Academy Awards, and we're going to give those to you with our opinions on them and then uh, see where that leads everybody in regards to whether they think they're good or not good. And you're up for a treat, everyone. They were really good movies this year. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. So there you go. There's a first point of contention already. Oh, what? That's not like us. (laughs) So without any further ado, let's get through the intro music and get stuck into today's episode of Helen and Bill Do Retro Cinema. Right here on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Righto, so we've got five films to get through. And the first film that we watched was Erin Brockovich. And the quick uh, Wikipedia run-through of that movie is that Erin Brockovich is a 2000 American biographical legal drama film directed by Steven Sonnenberg and written by Suzanne, Susanna sorry, Grant. And the film is a dramatisation of the true story of Erin Brockovich, portrayed by Julia Roberts, who initiated a legal case against the Pacific Gas and Electric Company over its culpability for the Hinkley groundwater contamination incident. Helen, tell us all about Erin Brockovich. Well, I'll tell you a bit about it, What my, my opinion of it. Uh, it. I remember it as a good film, but... Being me, I'd forgotten all the details. So it was like watching it again, really. Um, And it was. It's still a really good film, Uh, a riveting storyline about injustice and about uh, a female not being taken seriously, but then eventually, yeah, they have to take her seriously, Uh, about social justice, really, for these people in this town. And it is good because it is based on fact as well. It makes it more serious and, yeah, great story. Who doesn't like Julia Roberts? Do you know anyone who doesn't like Julia Roberts? She's so watchable and... There have been some movies she's been in that have been rubbish, though. Oh, I don't care about the movies. I care about her. Yeah. I, I've Every movie I've seen her in, I think she's fantastic. She was in that movie Sleeping with the Enemy. Remember that from the mid-'90s? And that was an like awful, a, that a was an awful film. Awful film, and, and she wasn't much good in it either. So oh, I stand corrected. That's well. That's that's one I could name off the top of my head. Apart from that, she's great to look at. She's great to listen to. She's so feisty. Yeah, <laughs> it, 
I really enjoyed the film. Well, I'd never seen this film before. What? Um, Can't believe that. No. Where were you? Well, because I remember it being spoken of highly at the time. Yeah. But um, mostly I remember the reviews of the film at the time mentioned that Julia Roberts brazenly showed off her breasts throughout. So and why didn't you watch which it? Is, which is what apparently the real Erin Brockovich did. She, the way she, she used her, um, yeah, her skills. Her assets. Her assets, yes. Um, yeah. So obviously it seems unlikely that I haven't seen the I film know. in that case. But well, if you'd heard that about it, I thought you would have watched it straight that's, away. That mustn't have been enough to drag me in at the time. I wonder why I, when I would have watched it without you. Oh, could have been any time. Mm. Anyway, um, so there are a number of things that caught me through the film. Firstly, the relationship between Aaron and George, who was the guy next door. Yep. yep. So, who was to like me, riding motorcycles? Yeah. To me, that was slightly unfair, but um, perhaps that's a guy's point of view rather than the girl's point of view because during the conversation when George had decided to leave, yeah, Aaron wanted him to stay to show. Uh, it was what because he said, "What more can I do?" And she said, "Stay." Yep. And but as George says, and, and what he's shown, he had basically become an unpaid babysitter for her kids and, and yeah. a house cleaner and all that kind of stuff. So look, I'm assuming that the real life scenario, rather than the dramatized scenario, if it actually occurred at all, was far less dramatic than was in the film. Um, Maybe. But, I mean, who knows what may be the real story, whether that sort of happened or not or whether it was written just as the drama part of the film. But I just felt that that was an unfair statement given what the film had shaped. For her to say stay. Yeah. I mean. Well, I remember looking over to you at the time and saying, role reversal. That's what women have always been expected to do in traditional relationships. Yes. Give up all of their interests. Well, not all of their interests, but really be home-based so that the man can go out and work. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of refreshing. Except that she did exactly the same thing. And I said to you, it's not fair, (laughs) but isn't that interesting that they're doing that role reversal thing so that maybe some people will take a good hard look at themselves and see that they're being unfair to their wives. Yes. True enough. Yeah. Uh, I thought, um, I thought Aaron Eckhart as George was terrific. He was. Um, Didn't know that was him. Yeah. So he was great in that supporting role. And, you know, he's, he's, Done that in supporting roles through his career, really. Like uh, in The Dark Knight, he was he played the supporting role there, and, and in Thank You for Smoking, he was terrific in that film. So he's very solid. Very he is, solid and he's always very good and so real. Uh, Albert Finney, um, I thought was great. He's... Carmen collected as the lawyer, as Ed uh, Ed Mesry, he was the yes, lawyer. Yeah, uh, and just typically understated in his role yeah. as he is. Um, and it's hard to believe when you watch him in that role. Um, that he played Hercule Poirot in the original Murders on the Orient Express film back in the oh, mid-70s. Yeah, and played him so well too. Very different. Um, Julia Roberts, yes, is excellent in the starring role. She always comes across as strong and independent, which is like her character. Yep. Uh, and she often doesn't receive the plaudits for her acting as she deserves. So um, I think she was great in the role. I don't know whether some people would think she was typecast for that particular role or not, but anyway, she was great. Um, the story, though based on true events rather than an accurate portrayal of the facts, was, I thought, compelling, yeah, uh, interesting, with enough of the truth 
sort of rolled into the movie to give the viewer the idea of what actually occurred. Um, while the dramatic effect of the events added in made the movie watchable rather than just as a documentary. Yeah, so exactly. it needed those dramatic sort of yeah. points put in to make it interesting rather than just a dry sort of drab documentary yeah. style sort of thing. Um, it divided its time between Erin uh, and her life story as it was playing out yeah. and the story of the law firm and the case that obviously is being followed through the movie. So I thought yeah. that was all done And how well. a single mother has to somehow juggle her working life to earn money and yeah. her kids and how difficult that so is. So we took on the real life story of the case and we also took on Erin's own yeah. real life yeah. sort of stuff yeah, and, and, well, very and well done. mixed it in well. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So there you go. So what did you give that, Phil? Oh, what did I give it? I think it was very worthwhile. I think, yep, I gave it a four out of five. Okay. Very watchable. I gave it three and a half. Okay. Um, it was, I, again, it was a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. Um, do I feel as I've got to go back to it? I think it's like a lot of those real movies that are based on real life events. Some, you know, sometimes you watch it and think, oh, that was really good, but you don't feel the mood to actually go back to it again. Or yeah. Whatever, so. Anyway, so there you go. That was Erin Brockovich. Our second film that we watched is called Traffic. Uh, Obviously, that was also from the year 2000, as all of these films are. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's a 2000 American crime drama film directed by Steven Soderbergh, again. Same, same. And written by Steven Gaghan. It explores the illegal drug trade from several perspectives, users, enforcers, politicians and traffickers. Their stories are edited together throughout the film and although some characters do not meet each other, uh, it's an adaption of the 1989 British Channel 4 TV series, which was also called Traffic. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, it has an ensemble cast, which includes Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, Michael Douglas, Erica Christensen, Louis Gomez, uh, Dennis Quaid, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and 4,000 other people. There were a lot of recognisable faces. In yes. It. So, tell us all about Traffic, Helen. Well, do you want, I wrote down this, okay? Okay. It was an okay movie. With Michael Douglas, his usual strong sort of magnetic self, and Catherine Zeta-Jones looking beautiful and smouldering, but playing a deeper character than usual, which was good. Um, but although the story being told was intriguing and interesting to me, I found myself not caring enough about any of them to be bothered following the ins and outs of drug trafficking in the 1990s. I didn't care much for any of them. It's not like you. Oh, I'm a caring person. <laughs> Funny how many of these films you don't care for anybody in them or the, the actions that have been taken over the three or four episodes that we've done. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, look, I'd never seen this film before when we watched it. Again, it's another one that, that passed by at the time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it. It was probably the kind of film that we said, ah, we can watch this at home on video when it was at the cinemas and then it just sort of never popped up. When we went to the video shop, remember video shops? We used yeah. to go to the video shops. They were kind of exciting. <laughs> so, um, but I think we'd if Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta Jones are on the cover, we'd usually go, oh yeah, you know, that's just going to be to a formula. Been there, done that. So I don't think I think we discounted it. Possibly. I mean, it may well have just been the subject of the film. We just thought, oh well, no, let's go and get a comedy or whatever it is at the yeah. time. 
Uh, I thought it was really well filmed in that the colour palette of the scenes changed depending on which storyline was being told and where they were at the time. That is true. Some of them it was like movie footage or documentary footage it felt like you were watching and others were like in someone's home like very personal. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, was, it was really good. Like the stuff that was obviously in Mexico, was it was in a, 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 a sort of a yellowish orange hue, that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed that part yeah, of it true. because it allowed you to follow the storyline, knowing which part of the story you were you know, watching once you realised that was going on. Because it did jump around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed the fact that the audience wasn't dumbed down by it all being in English, like it retained the language that was yep. being spoken by the characters in real time, which was good. Um, I thought all storylines for me, I thought were performed well. Um, was it, were the storylines predictable though? Um, yeah. Because I think we all knew that like Robert Wakefield, who was the judge heading up the president's drug policy, um, would have his daughter hip deep in drug addiction <laughs> and would be forced to step away. I guess in the long run, we always saw that coming. And I think um, we saw the Dennis Quaid character. We knew that he was going to be dodgy yep. and get his hands dirty. Yep. Yep. We knew that Eduardo Ruiz, who was testifying against his drug lord yep. boss, was going to be bumped off some way so that you know, the drug lord could get off scot-free. Uh, we knew the Mexican police officers, Javier and Manalo, were going to find, a way, find dealing with General Salazar a very difficult proposition. But even though... You sort of knew that this was probably all going to happen. The story was sewn together so expertly, cutting between the different stories without harming any of the stories. Yeah, and it we was, could still follow it. Yeah, yeah, it was easy to watch and it was enjoyable as it all panned out. So you'd get into one story and then there are times I felt that part of the story was thinking, oh, something's going to happen here, and then they moved to the next story. I thought, oh, good, well, we'll just get out of the getting tense about that difficult. part yeah. and then we go to the next part and then we come back to that or whatever it was. And I thought that was done really yeah. well. So whether that was writing, directing or whatever it was, I don't know, but it was, that was all done very well for me. Uh, I thought there are lots of watchable performances. I thought Benicio Del Toro oh, as Xavier Rodriguez was just terrific. Yeah. He gave a, a, what I would have called a very sincere performance as the cop looking for betterment of his neighbourhood. Uh, I enjoyed John Cheadle and Luis Gomez um, as the DEA agents. Yep. Uh, I thought Miguel Ferrer as the mm. guy they had to protect was, yeah, was really good, the informant. Yeah, okay, he's, yes, yes. He's always a bad guy. He always does it so well. And, and um, he came across as intelligent and just he knew his fate all the way through. No matter how much all the other guys said, no, we're going to protect him, he, he just said, knew he was I'm a dead man walking. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones as the wife of Carlos Ayala. Played the role really well. Yeah, she did. And Michael Douglas, I think, he's always great. He's just, in whatever role he does, I really enjoy He's him. always kind of the same, but he's always good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Erica Christensen, who played his daughter, uh, Caroline, I thought she was yeah. actually very good in the role. Um, so for me, this was a really good film. Okay. But one you probably don't need to watch more than once. It's um, – and – nor would you likely want to <laughs> once you've seen once and, and live through all you sort of think, well, okay, that was really good. The subject matter is hard and it's great and you get through it, but you think I probably don't need to go through that again. Yes. Um, Glad I'm not in that world. Yes. Yeah, Let's correct. Let's move on. Yeah. Anyway, what did you give that? I only gave it two and a half. Is that right? Oh, I, yeah. Well, I gave it three and a half. Okay. I thought it was – I really enjoyed the film and, and it, it, it tackled the tough issues, which it always wanted to. 
And like I said, there's so many good people and they, they did all so well. And even if it was a little bit predictable, I don't think I'd harmed it. Okay, so we move into our third film. And our third film in the year 2000 is Gladiator. And Gladiator is a 2000 epic historical drama film directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, it was released uh, by different people. No one cares about that. It starred Russell Crowe, Warkin Phoenix, Connie Nielsen, um, Oliver Reed in his final role. Uh, and it portrays uh, the Roman general Maximus Decimus Meridius. Everyone just called him Maximus. We should have just gone with that. Who is betrayed when Commodus, the ambitious son of Emperor Marcus Aurelius, murders his father and seizes the throne. Helen, tell us all about Gladiator. Well, it has been a long time since I've seen Gladiator. I loved it at the time, um, but it didn't live up to those memories for me. Uh, Are you I, saying it's dated, or do you think? No, it hasn't dated. You've changed. Or? I think I think I need more from a film because. It was very Hollywood, wasn't it? Like, I don't know, the the soundtrack and uh, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't as harsh as life would have been. It was Hollywoodized, which I guess that's what they do. Um, Russell was fine, but I didn't think he was as mesmerising as I did back then. Um, it, I thought it was kind of slow paced, too. Um, and overly sentimental, very sentimental. Um, but the dialogue was predictable uh, and the trajectory of the protagonist is ex as expected. Um, yeah, I was kind of a bit, oh, is that all it is at the end of it? Because I had good memories of it. So, yeah, I don't need to see it again. Um, well, so I'd seen this, I think, twice. I, I definitely remember seeing it twice when it came out. Um, but this is the first time I've seen it since then, which is some 20-odd years yeah, later. Yeah. So my initial thoughts when it was released differ from yours because at the time I just thought it was okay um, without being as brilliant as many other people made out. Um, I was probably in... just overawed by the beauty of Russell Crowe, the beauty and strength of Russell Crowe when I was... 23 years younger. Yeah, and I did write here that I knew at the time that Helen thought more of it than I did. Um, so maybe now we're on the same same. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How do you know yet? I haven't got through my monologue yet. Okay, <laughs> I'll stand back. <laughs> um, so I said, I'm watching it again. For me, nothing much has changed. Um, I use the same word as you. I feel it's over-sentimentalised. Um, I felt that the scenes between Maximus and the Emperor when he was going to pass leadership to him um, to, re to return the power to the Senate just was just a bit too... Oh, Simplified, simplistic. Yeah, and, and that over-sentimentalised that yeah. would have been yeah, between... Yeah, with the, the music. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. And then there's the scene between the Emperor and um, Commodus when he when he kills him. Yeah. Same sort of thing. That was There's crying on both sides of it, and I sort of thought, well, that's not really realistic as such um and all the scenes uh, of the gladiators fighting and then the immediate sort of change of uh the leadership role being thrust upon maximus the second they found out who he was everyone just 
goes, oh, them. yeah, you're the leader and then, you yeah, do everything. What are we going to do? How are we going to do all this yeah. sort of stuff? And I sort of thought, well, that, that to me, I, it didn't feel um, historically perhaps accurate or relevant, to be honest. Yeah, true, not relevant. Um, especially the accents in the film really disappointed me because mm-hmm. no one made an effort. No, they to... were all just there. Each person had their own accent. That's right. No matter where they came from in the world, they were all just themselves. And I don't know if that's the actors who did that or whether Ridley Scott just said, just go with that and we don't care about that, we're just going to believe it as it is. Um, I just, yeah, I think I wrote here, I felt betrayed by it when I'm, when I'm watching it. It doesn't feel realistic when you're watching it. I wonder if it's because we've watched so many movies since then with subtitles and we're, we totally enjoy Yeah, absolutely. Now, maybe the world wasn't, or the Western world wasn't ready for it. Maybe. But that's what I said, like, in, in Traffic, where they didn't dumb it down for the audience. Yeah. They made sure that the the right language was used and that they just used subtitles. subtitles yeah. And here they didn't. They didn't try and do anything like that. Um it was Oliver Reed's final film performance and he, he died while they were shooting the film. And you oh, can see you. in the scene where he actually dies in the film, his character dies in the film, it's obvious that they showed a, a different couple of cuts from when he was alive and whatever and the, that it's an obvious double with his back to us when he gets stabbed in the back. Mm-hmm. I just thought... I was oblivious. I always thought, for Ridley Scott, for me, I thought... Surely someone who is this great director could have done something better than what... I mean, kids today on in their phones can make better edits than that was. Oh, maybe it wasn't around then. Well, it's, it's still they had all the money in the world to be able to do stuff like that. That, that sort of annoyed me. More knowing, and, and it was the same as when you, I watched it the first time. Everyone knew Oliver Reed had died, and so when his character was going to die, you, you can just say, oh, well, I wonder how they did this. And anyway... That annoyed me. Okay. <laughs> um, there are lots of historical inaccuracies, uh, which if you're a history buff, you know, and, and studied Rome and, and, and Greece and stuff like that, I did in high school, um, it makes it a tough watch at times. And if you want to know all the historical inaccuracies, just get onto um, Wikipedia and just read what they actually did differently in the film than they did um, that actually happened. Like Marcus Aurelius was not killed by his son at all. He died in after a battle or something, and then his son ruled for 12 years. Well, that's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's got nothing to do with what happened in the they film. They should have just used different names. Like they should have just made all. it completely different. That's mm. exactly right. Um, but again, you know, if you're just watching the film and you're oblivious to that, then that's fine. It works fine. So that's just me being picky. So after that, I've got, obviously, Russell Crowe, Spoiler alert! Won the Academy Award for Best Actor for this film. Yeah. Um, and I say, is this an Academy Award-winning performance? Because I feel it's difficult to judge. Because compared to the previous year for his role in The Insider, which we spoke about on the last episode, yeah. And for his role the following year, which yeah. we'll talk about in the next episode, in A Beautiful Mind, there's no comparison. But we can't compare it to those. We can only compare it to the performances of 2000. I understand that, and we'll come to that at the end of the episode as well. But I agree with you. Um, Larkin Phoenix is good in his role, as always, as Commodus. um, But I think the role was probably written as we, you know, if you now know that he didn't kill his father and he didn't go crazy and he did go for 12 years. It's just written a bit too manic for me. Um, It's an over-the-top rendition of the character as portrayed which is obviously what the director wanted, so that's yeah. what he got. 
Um, and it turns out untrue. Yeah, That's and, and his memory. And Ridley Scott's direction was fine, except for those couple of incidences I've brought up. I think. You know, the stuff that's in the Coliseum and all that kind of stuff, it's it's all wonderfully filmed and it, it looks marvellous and would look better on the big screen. But It's probably a film of its time. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good film, but it's not one I've ever been a huge fan of. Uh, and to be honest, I probably would not have come back to it at all if it was not for this podcast. Uh, and there were better films in that year than this that didn't even get the same sort of attention that True. this got. Yeah, it got the hype. It yeah, did. Yeah, and I fell for it. Yeah. Oop, blindsies. So, Helen, well, how many stars have you given this film? I've still given it three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I gave it three stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it, you know, don't be as picky as me and don't try to say, oh, that didn't happen, this didn't happen, why did that happen? If you just watch the film as the film, it's all very nicely done and whatever and it's good versus evil and in the long run, good overcomes evil. So that's pretty much what Hollywood wants to happen anyway. That's right. Righto, now we're into our fourth film for 2000. And it was called Chocolat. Oh, beautiful, Bill. Not chocolate. Chocolate. Uh, so, Chocolat. It's a 2000 romance film based on the 1999 novel of the same name by English author Joanna Harris. And it's directed by Lassie Halstrom. Uh, Chocolat tells the story of Vienne Rocher. <laughs> Rocher, just got that. <laughs> played by Juliette Binoche, uh, who arrives in the fictional French village of Lasquenay-sous-Tarns or something like that. My French is not good. We need subtitles for that. At the beginning of Lent with her six-year-old daughter, Anouk, she opens a small chocolaterie, chocolaterie, that sounds good, and soon she and her chocolate influence the lives of the townspeople of this repressed French community in different and interesting ways. Helen, tell us more about Chocolat. Well, I loved it at the time, but I think I loved it more this time. Um, Right from when it opened and it was sort of mystical and the wind, north wind was blowing and there were the woman and the daughter in the red capes and, yeah, it was all kind of magical and stuff. Uh, I liked it. Um, and it's a really enjoyable story. It's like a story about having the courage to be true to yourself, uh, I thought, and supporting those around you in being true to themselves too. And, yeah, letting people be free in their beliefs and what they do. Um, yeah, and I liked the bit of mysticism and the bit of romance and the bit of redemption and all of the chocolate. Yeah, and I thought, what's her name? Binoche? Is that how you say her name? Juliette Binoche. Yeah. Juliette Binoche. I've said the Binoche lady makes it. <laughs> she was great. That is the most Australian thing you said. <laughs> the Binoche lady makes it, mate. It's not French, is it? Um, and it's a film I could watch over again, over and over again. Yeah, I really made me feel good. Yeah. I remember because we watched this together when it first came out. And that's the only time I've ever seen the film. But I've always had really good memories of it. So, again, I guess it's not the kind of film that I personally will jump back into all the time. But I always um, – had good memories of the film and, and thought that, you know, the film was good, the performances were good and whatever. So this is only the second time that I've seen it. Um, and, yes, as, as Helen has alluded to, it's set in 1959 
um, which is important <laughs> when you're watching the film. If you don't know that straight away, then it's a problem. Uh, it does deal very nicely with the differences in devout people and villages that are based around that devout attitude and those that live apart from a religiously based life. Um, it's done very well. It shows that. And the difficulties that a clashing of those two things can cause. Uh, yeah. And I think it's written really well in that regard. Um, the village is run by the mayor who also basically controls the priest in, in everything that he's allowed to say. Uh, of course, against the chocolate shop opening in Lent. And for anyone who has had to go through Lent, they'd know all about it. Yes. I don't. I just, Not a good idea to eat chocolate in I Lent. You've got to give it up, man. I eat chocolate as long as I can. I <laughs> eat it more in Lent if I can. It's like eating fish on Good Friday. You just eat meat. <laughs> anyway. And then, of course, there's also the arrival of the, the River Romani halfway yeah. through the film, which also Johnny Depp adds to that sort of... Um, Pulling of uh, well, strings. Well, it's the 1950s meeting the 1960s in a time of uh, tradition yep. meeting change. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the relationships between several of the characters is done very well, I thought. Obviously, there's the relationship between mother, Bianne, and daughter, Anouk. Uh, their landlord, Armand, who, and her daughter, Caroline, and, and her son, Luke, and how... They've yeah. got a problem there between the three of those. Who is Judy Dench? Yes. Dan Judy Dench, the landlord. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Josephine, who's taken in by Vienne after her husband Serge abuses yeah. her. And then, of course, there's the mayor and everybody. Yeah. And then there's the river at Rue and Vienne. So just kind of flux for families. Lots of different relationships that are explored in the film itself. Yeah. And explored tenderly, yes. beautifully. And yeah. easily, without yeah. without sort of meshing into another part of the relationships yeah. or the storyline. So it's all done very well. And I've just written here next, actually. The story is, is well-crafted throughout, and the performances are all excellent, I think. Uh, Juliette Binoche, as Helen has already alluded to, is wonderful in her role, fantastic. Judy Dench also. Yeah. She's just Judy Dench. She's just terrific. Alfred Molina, who I think is just brilliant in everything Was he's in. Was that the mayor? He played yeah, the Yeah, he is really good in everything we've and seen. And he's just marvellously watchable. Yeah, he is. In everything he does. And even in this film where he's basically like a villain without yeah. you know, being it, he just does it with that air of panache. That yeah. <laughs> he's, I think he's just terrific. And um, he's been in so many different films, like this kind of film into you know blockbuster films in his career. And he's done everything he's done, I think, is fantastic. Um, Luna Olin was terrific as um, the woman who was being abused. Yep, left her um, husband. Yep. She she was very good. Um, Carrie Ann Moss played um, the daughter of, of Judy Dench. Oh, she yeah. was good. And you come down to, at the end, to Johnny Depp, who I don't even know if he's in the main credits or not. But, well, he's not in the movie that much. Well, he's he? not, but that's the thing. He's in a small, unobtrusive role. Um but it was a simple and effective performance yeah. without him trying to outshine anybody yeah. or overshadow anybody. He just came in, he played his role. It's well-written and he, he performs it really well. Yeah. And um, no matter what's been said about him before or since this role, I just think he can play these roles very easily and um, without I've always problem. liked his acting. Yeah. Always. So I thoroughly enjoyed this film Me again. Too. Um 
probably more again than I did all those years ago the first time. I probably appreciated it more now because I'm a mother because it explores motherhood at different age, ages. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I appreciated it more now. I just I wrote here that I, whether I was just I matured or I'm just older, I could work oh. out which one it might be. You don't think it might be both? Oh, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> The story has several layers. The relationships between the characters is fluid and they move together and apart nicely. Uh, and there's a lot to take away from the story that applies even today when it comes to relationships with culture and religion uh, and family that perhaps and your children. that yeah. we could take on board more often. Yeah. So having said that. I gave it a four out of five. Four out of five. Well, I, I also gave it four stars. Oh, there yes. we go. So we must be on the same track occasionally. Yeah. All right, so we're up to our fifth and final film for the year 2000, and it is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is a 2000 American, Chinese, Taiwanese, Hong Kong, Wuja martial arts adventure film directed by Ang Lee. Holy crap, that was a whole mouthful. Yeah, what does that even all mean? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yes, anyway, uh, the film... Stars several people that you may or may not know: Chow Yun Fat, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Zhang Ziyi, and is based on the Chinese novel of the same name, which was serialized between 1941 and 1942. Was it? Uh, and it was the fourth part of his Crane Iron Pentology. Who the hell would know any of that? Anyway, we do now. We're now going to go with Helen, who's going to tell us all about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I love this film. I always have. Uh, and as I was watching it this time, I thought, oh, it's like it's monkey magic meets <laughs> Star Wars. There's no one here who knows monkey magic if they're below the age of 45. <laughs> um, and I realised it, it's up there, if not my favourite, it's my second or third favourite. I love this film. Of all time. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. this so. is in your top three films of all time. I think it is. One one day I'll sit down and write my list like oh, you do. Yes, you should. <laughs> um, so my tip is to watch it in a darkened room with surround sound because the soundtrack is out of this world. It really helps set the scene and place you in that time. And, uh, yeah, it really it helps me immerse myself in the movie. So if you can, watch it with that. Um, yeah, superb soundtrack. Superb cinematography, martial arts choreography, acting, storyline, dialogue. Um, and as you all know, the portrayal of strong female characters on screen is important to me. <laughs> this movie has it in abundance. It's about influencing and dominating with intelligence, skill and subtlety instead of with strength. Um, I enjoy all the themes in the movie, themes of wisdom versus youth, Emotional courage, physical courage, mysticism, uh, traditional duty to family versus duty to yourself, uh, and the themes of love and tragedy, of course. They're, you know, almost Shakespearean, aren't they? Um, it has it all. Uh, I love it, and you must see it, everyone. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Well, I watched this a couple of times when it first came out with my lovely wife. And then we also watched it in uh, COVID lockdown. Uh, oh, yeah. Helen chose it as one of the films that we all five of us had to sit down and watch together. Now, I've never been a fan of this film. And much like Gladiator, I watched it 
And I thought, yeah, this is okay, but that's about it. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, it's certainly, it was groundbreaking at the time with the choreography and the stunts and the, the special effects that we used to make them look like they're flying and running on roofs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and all of that's done really well. And the fight scenes are particularly well done. They're yeah, wonderfully yeah. choreographed and actually done. And the little, the little bits of humour within it too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Very clever. But the story and the whole pace of the movie just doesn't do it for me at all. It's uh, Initially when I watched it and I, and I said such things, I was accused of not liking it because it had subtitles. Yeah, I remember accusing you of that. Correct, yes. Uh, and it's often the first thing people say to me when I express my slight ambivalence uh, of the story about this story and then other movies as well. Um, I don't know. We go an hour into the film and the storyline's progressing and then we have the story about how Gen Yu meets Lo, yep. Dark Cloud. Yep, in the Urals. And that, yep. for me, really stops the story, the flow of the movie a bit because we've gone all through, going along, you know, in a sequential manner and then suddenly, whoops, we're going into the past and we've dropped right out and we do that and then we've got to come back to that. But you know what? It saves having a Marvel-style backstory, you know, movie. It's in there. It's... It's all part Marvel of the same Marvel style story. backstory. Wow. <laughs> you know way. those movies? Where they... No, uh... I've never seen a Marvel film. Oh. Um, <clears throat> anyway. It's relevant, very relevant to the story. But is it? Because then they come back out of that story and she says, go away. I don't want to know you anymore. Don't ever come back. So. <laughs> but don't... then the end. Come on. Oh, we yeah. won't tell the what listeners. About the, oh, well, it's very, very, very yeah, you, relevant. You, yeah. Anyway. Um, and then we've got, yes, the warring love stories of Jen and Lo and, and Mubai and Shulin and that kind of stuff all the way through. Yeah. It's just never done anything for me. And I'm watching it again the other day. I just thought, yeah, I got to the end. And thought, well, I've sat through that again um, and hopefully for the last time. Oh, no. Um, Chow Yun-Fat is lauded for his performance. Uh, but for me, the star of the show is Michelle Yeoh, and she yeah, always was. Yeah, of course was. it is. Yeah. She is absolutely fantastic. Powerhouse. Yeah, and um, she's so contained, isn't she? And, Restrained. You know, and the stuff that she's gone on to do since this movie, oh, she's just magnificent. But I thought that uh, Zhang Ziyi, I think that's how you pronounce that her name. Is young girl? As Jen, yeah, she was good. was also really good, and yeah. I think she was only nineteen at the time she? she made the film, which tell old she was supposed to be in the film. So I thought that she was really good to it, and I do know that she's gone on and done other stuff that she's been nominated for um, mm -hmm. after it. So the performances themselves weren't really concerned for it. Just the story just didn't grab it for me. Oh, I love it. Maybe because it's kind of. A lot of my friendships in my life with other women. I don't know. It's you come and go. You can come and go, and you can have animosity, but then you know you're still really, really close. I don't know. It's maybe it's maybe you got to be a woman to. Really I don't get know. It. Well, Bono, our one, our friend John, yeah. he loves this film. Does he? And yeah, always okay. has. So it's not. It's just not for me. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. Um, I get it. I also have to mention Ang Lee as the director who oh, was lauded and. Probably rightfully so, but I still think 
that um, rather than the director, whoever organised, choreographed the fight scenes and the, the special, special effects, effects stuff, they were the stars of the film for me, yeah. apart from Michelle Yeoh. That's what got everyone into yeah, I think yeah. It who watched it and they and then after that scene that you say you've got to watch this yeah. because it's because of that and then but anyway. But I loved like all the landscape, like cinematography too. Yeah, going out to Western China and um, yeah, in the bamboo forests and in the Forbidden City, like it just it it gives you a really good overview of different bits of China. I mean, China's so varied and massive, but yeah. For me, you know how I love geography and stuff. I found all of that very interesting too. Yes, so for me, a good film, but not much more than that. Okay, Bill, what are you giving it? I gave it, I gave it three stars, um, but that's because I recognise that there's a lot of good stuff in the film rather than me actually enjoying it much. Mm-hmm. Yep. I gave it five. Oh, I would never have guessed. Wow. <laughs> All right, so we come to the end here. Helen's dying because she says it's too hot. It's not. It's not the couple of glasses of red she's gotten through while uh, doing this episode at all. Her tailor's cab sav here that she's. I've had less than one glass, listeners. Yeah. I'm oh, being bullied. I wish we had a video seeing how much she's been drinking here. There were some other films that came out this year that didn't quite get the same recognition as some of the ones we've spoken about. Um, Billy Elliot was one. Oh, I love that film too. Um, Wish we could have watched that. Maybe we can watch that for fun. Which didn't get nominated. Uh, Castaway was another one that didn't get nominated. Uh, There was one called The Contender, which was about uh, a race for the American presidency that, that people out there have said is brilliant but didn't get nominated. And there's also Almost Famous, which was at the time, yeah, which was good. a terrific story. Yeah. So there were, there were plenty of films out there and were different from the ones that were nominated. And it was the first, it was probably the first time I ever thought about the fact that I wonder what you've got to do, what kind of film you've got to have to actually get nominated for Best Picture. Um, and certainly I would have thought that two of those films, which I just said, were better than films that were nominated yeah. that I could have easily replaced. Better than Traffic and Gladiator. Billy Elliot and Almost Famous to yeah. me were both very good films. I liked Castaway, but again, it was the kind of film you don't need to see more than once. No, but in terms of, like, did did Tom Hanks get nominated for Best Actor? We're about that? to get that. Yeah. Come to that. Yeah. Okay. So out of the films that we've spoken about, and then there's a couple there you could add in as well, what would you have chosen as the best film for that? Year? Oh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right. What about you? My favourite was Chocolat. Okay. Out of those five, I thought that was the best film of the five. That'd be my second. Um, the best picture went to Gladiator, of course, uh, and it was quite hugely hyped at the time. So, best director. Uh, it went to Steven Soderbergh, seeing as here he was nominated twice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was going to be fine. But that's not a reason to get it just because you nominated well, twice. Well, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. But he got nominated for two films, yeah, so he had a yeah. better chance. So yeah. he was nominated. He won it for Traffic. Oh, okay. He was also nominated for Aaron Brockovich. Well, yeah, his Traffic direction, it was very technically yes. spot on. So uh, Stephen Adoldry for Billy Elliot was nominated. Yeah. Ang Lee for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Ridley Scott for Gladiator were also nominated for that that award. 
The Best Actor Award, as we've already said, was uh, Russell Crowe for Gladiator. The others nominated that year were Javier Bardem for Before Night Falls, Tom Hanks for Castaway, Ed Harris for Pollock, and Jeffrey Rush for Quills. Um, so I have, I've only seen Castaway, so I can't really say. Well, yeah, I reckoned Castaway. I reckon Tom Hanks, the energy and, I don't know, panache that went into his performance in Castaway much well certainly losing all that Russell weight that he Crow's did when they went gladiator. when they went away for six months and he lost all that weight to make it look like he'd been stranded on a desert island but but just imagine being there the camera on you for like imagine it yeah that'd be so hard yeah but and he was so good in it at the time yeah. it was still said you know did russell deserve it the year before maybe it's still oh, well, we better give it to russell this year when they should have given it to him the waited following another year, year. yeah give it to him then Best Actress went to Julia Roberts for Erin Brockovich. Um, Juliette Binoche was also nominated for Chocolat. Yeah, good. Uh, the other ones were Joan Allen for The Contender, Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream, and Laura Linney for You Can Count on Me, also films I haven't seen. I think I've seen that Requiem. Right. One, but, yeah. Best Supporting Actor went to Benicio Del Toro for oh, Traffic. Yeah, yeah good. Um, Albert Finney was nominated for Erin Brockovich. Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for Gladiator. Uh, also, Willem Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire and Jeff Bridges for The Contender. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress went to Marsha Gay Harden for Pollock, which I can't tell you anything about because no, I don't know I the film. Seen it. Uh, Judy Dench was nominated for Chocolat. Kate Hudson and Frances McDormand were both nominated for Almost Famous. Oh, okay. And Julie Walters for Billy Elliot. Yeah. Uh, Best screenplay written directly for the screen was Almost Famous by Cameron Crowe. Best screenplay based on material previously written was for Traffic. Okay. Best foreign language film, you'll never guess. Oh, it's my one. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Who would have thought? I wonder how many others were in contention. Uh, There was another four, but Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know any of them, surprisingly enough. Uh, So that's the, the major awards there anyway, so... Um, well, yeah. I enjoyed that immensely. We did so what we a good bunch we, of films. we found things that we agreed on and things we didn't agree on, just like in life, Bill. Oh, all the time in life. <laughs> so there we go. That's today's episode. Thank you, Helen. Thank um, you, William. That wine bottle's empty now. You might have to go and open oh, another one. It's full of it. My Pepsi Max is almost finished. So there you go. Uh, thank you to anyone who's made it this far. We appreciate the fact that you actually want to listen to us talking about movies from 23 years ago that uh, you've probably either seen or have no desire to see. Uh, we hope it's been entertaining enough for you to want to come back for the next episode, whenever that may be, for the next Academy Awards, the 74th Academy Awards from Phil's from 2001. Uh, and Can't if, wait. If so, we will see you then. Until then, goodbye, Helen. Goodbye, Bill. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.